0: Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in scripture, to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. It is good to be here with you together as we uh, look into God's word today. We continue our rescuer series. And uh, if you look in the bulletin, you'd know that the title today is Worship, except that it's not. The more I studied and prepared, the more I thought, you know what, next week is going to be worship. (laughs) So you've just got a little bit of advance warning for next week. This week, thunder, thunder, as we get started with the thunder i'm going to invite you to turn to john chapter 14 written by the same author we believe that wrote the book of revelation you turn to john chapter 14 and as you do i'm going to invite some of our deacons to go ahead and stand Uh, they have they're armed with our journals to give away so if you uh, already have one but you left it at home and you'd like another raise your hand if you've never gotten one raise your hand maybe you're a visitor and you wonder is this for me yes If you're a child and you're wondering, but can I have one too? Yes, raise your hand. They are largely blank inside. Some of us think better when we doodle. You're welcome to. Somebody here, I'm sure, is going to hear something today in the many passages of Scripture we're going to dig into, and you think, I want to check that out for myself. Let me write that down. Let me take another look. Uh, My hope is that these would be meaningful to you, Uh, But we just love that you have the opportunity to engage with us today in our Rescuer series. So as these deacons pass through the balcony in the back half of the sanctuary, you just raise your hand. And by the way, I see some young people with their hands up. If by chance you draw a picture today and you'd have the courage to and are willing to stop me as I'm milling about and show me what you drew, I would love that. All right, so you found John chapter 14, these familiar words that in part address a core question. John chapter 14, verse 1, you know it, don't you? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in God. In me, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I am coming back. I was asked earlier in the week uh, what, what I'd be preaching on because the praise team was getting ready with some songs and I missed the text to respond back but I would have told you a different thing anyway. (laughs) And instead, the song we just sang, perfect. Jesus is coming back for me. This whole series, The Rescuer. But if you're like me, you have a little question I have a treasured little piece of paper. It's actually cardboard stock, yellowed over time. It's, it's actually a little ticket to a really old school, long time ago evangelistic series, and on it is the simple title, Jesus is Coming. And then below that, B.E. Miller, the speaker. Philadelphia area. B.E. Miller, my great-grandfather, Benjamin Miller. He didn't even say, Jesus is coming soon. That sounds too far away. (laughs) Jesus is coming. I don't think he meant sometime after I'm gone. And so... As we say it, Jesus is coming back. Doesn't your heart have a tiny little question, sometimes growing bigger, when? When? Well, we're going to pray, and we're going to dig in, and we're going to listen for the whisper or the thunder. Lord God, come. Thank you for your promises to us. Thank you For your word, thank you. For the thunder and the whispers, thank you. Now grow in us as we ask, as we wonder, as we dig, and as we read. Would you bless us with the presence of your spirit? In Jesus we ask, amen. And amen, and a little later in that same chapter, John chapter 14, he goes on to say, All this I've spoken while still with you, but... I'm not always going to be with you. I'm about to leave. They're confused about his conversation. They would understand it later. John, I'm sure, would pour over these notions while on the island of Patmos, writing the book of Revelation. As Jesus would say, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Spirit comes on John writing this book of Revelation and he recalls, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you the kind of peace the world gives. No, no. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. For you heard me say, I'm going away. But I'm coming back to you. You know, as we consider this question, John, there on the island of Patmos, about 94 AD, maybe 96 somewhere, writing, time has passed, and he's the last of the disciples. And wouldn't it make sense, because he grappled with the words, he lived through the crucifixion, he watched a resurrected Jesus interact and everything that was destroyed in that crucifixion moment was resurrected through this empty tomb. And then Jesus, on a particular day, is reported in Acts, would start to ascend to the heavens. And an angel would say, he's going, yes, but he will come back just the same way. He'll, he's coming back. He's coming back. And Jesus would tell them, I am coming back. And here John writes the book of Revelation, but, you know, come on. When? When? I don't know if you're like me. I, I, f- I grew up listening to my father preach. Lift up, ye trumpets, and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. When? You ever wake up on a particular spiritual day and feel like we're further away than we were yesterday? Not closer. When? This is not a new question. On a particular day in the last week of Jesus before the crucifixion, Matthew 24 tells the story as Jesus and the disciples leave at the end of the day, leave Jerusalem and walk across a valley and now are looking back and Jesus points to the temple that is, that is actually splashed with the last rays of sunshine at the end of the day, probably taking that white marble and turning it a rosy color. It was their thing. You ever visit a, a city and all the t-shirts have a certain something on it. It might be an arch in St. Louis. It could be the tower in paris it could be any number of things but there it was the temple and as jesus looks back he draws the attention of the disciples and he says to them challenging words he says you know look now those those marble stones, rocks that are one upon another, they will be torn down and strewn across the landscape, not one stone residing upon the other. And the disciples turn to Jesus and say this in the third verse, tell us then, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Anybody who's been on a long trip with a group of kids in the car... Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much time? Are we almost are we there? He's touching me. That's the other one that gets put in there. Are we almost there yet? When? Fascinatingly, the disciples don't realize because their understanding of, of this notion that has just cropped into their mind that the temple being destroyed, that's the end. And so they ask two questions in one. So when will this happen, the destruction of this temple, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And fascinatingly, Jesus answers both in a way that the disciples cannot parse, cannot figure out. You have to have been well later to even be able to understand, oh, there he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to happen in AD 70. There he's talking about his coming in the end. But Jesus doesn't seem bothered by our confusion about when. Hmm. Jesus will include an interesting phrase in the 15th verse of Matthew 24 as he's describing what will happen. And he talks about seeing the abomination of the desolation and, and they're hearing, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody use a phrase or, Maybe you've seen a face and you recognize, you go, I've seen that somewhere. And they've heard this somewhere. Oh yeah, they've heard it in the book of Daniel, the abomination of the desolation. Daniel and Jesus will actually even say, as, as Daniel writes about it, so he connects these things that are happening and the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he goes on to talk to them about, about how this will go, but... Of course, if they're listening and he's referring to Daniel, they know how Daniel ends. Do you remember it? For there are a number of time prophecies. There are a variety of prophecies about time that will go on, and Daniel's pretty upset, kind of like the disciples are here. When will this happen? How is this going to be? How long will this take? At the end, there's an angel that comes to Daniel, and he says, what I want you to do is seal this up so that it's not understood. Not helpful. Or as Daniel 12 verse 9 says, go your way, Daniel. Distraught as you are, go your way because the words are closed up and they are sealed until the time of the end. So when will he come? We can say soon. But for somebody... Who lays a loved one in the ground this next week? How soon is soon? Matthew 24 goes on. Jesus will talk then about his return, his second coming. But he's going to use language like this. You'll say it's like lightning striking the ground. Well, you know what? I have learned is that when you see lightning striking the ground, it's a little late to come indoors. When you see lightning is not the time to stop playing golf. Hopefully you know ahead of time just enough. How about this one? In verse 30 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, And the sign of the coming of the Son of Man is you will see him in the clouds... Uh, that's a little late. You'll know I'm coming when you see me. Uh, Oh boy. Verse 36, no one actually knows the day nor the hour. Here standing with you as the human Jesus, fully God, I can't even tell you when it is. I can tell you that it'll be like when the flood came and no one was prepared for that except a small handful. And by the way, even as the drops of rain fell, they may well not have known the flood was about to happen. Because it comes. Or this one. It'll come like a thief in the night. I think that's an interesting one because a thief doesn't announce themselves, but you do hope you're ready. You do hope your security measures are up to snuff. You do hope your response would be courageous. You do hope you would make wise choices. And so, we turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 10. Amidst this question, when are you coming? The book of Revelation is indeed the revelation of Jesus Christ and at its core, it is that Jesus Christ and the God of this universe are our rescuer. But when is rescue coming? How easy is it to just keep talking about this rescuer and not start to feel a little jaded? With my broken down little invitation to an evangelistic series from a great-grandfather I never met. We get to Revelation chapter 10, and, uh, and here's what's happening. Now, we've said it many times, Revelation is gonna require a lot of study, way more than what we will cover right here. So we're jumping into a very interesting spot. It's a part of the study of the seven trumpets. Begin in chapter 8 and 9. The seven trumpets go like this. There's trumpet number one. Then there's an angel that blows trumpet number two. Then trumpet number three. I think you see where I'm headed. Following the third is the fourth. Then the fifth trumpet. Then the sixth trumpet, which is followed by... Not so fast. The sixth trumpet is followed by chapter 10, which is not the seventh trumpet. It's as if they're going along, trumpet one, two, three, four, five, six, and someone in good old American football style calls time (laughs) out. Hold on, time out. We need a little intermission. There's something to discuss here. We will get to the seventh trumpet, but let's call a time out. In fact, this isn't terribly surprising for students of Revelation because in chapters 5 through 8, we studied the seven seals. And you know how the seven seals go. It starts with the first seal, and then it's the second seal, third, fourth, fifth seal, followed by the sixth seal, then followed by the... Time out. Chapter 7 is a whole intermission, just the same kind of way. So we've already been a little bit acclimated to this thing that goes on in the the process of what's going on with God's people from the cross of Christ, his ascension to heaven, and now his work to finish this situation, to come back and get us, to rescue us, but to rescue us in fullness, that this would never happen again, that there'd be no questions unanswered, that there'd be no stone unturned for your and my safety, this progression of time, which scholars would say the seven seals are one way to look at the time that passes till it's all over, and then are the seven trumpets not as what happens after the seven seals, but scholars would suggest these are concurrent. These are two different ways of looking at the same thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, and time out. And so we get to chapter 10 of Revelation, and it's this, wait a minute, we want to talk about this before we go on to the seventh trumpet. seventh trumpet, seventh seal. The very end. Sometimes we use the phrase, the end of time. The disciples asked the question in in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, and when will the end of the age be? Another way to put that. Jesus coming. Another way to put that. So when will this all be? Well, let's check in to Revelation chapter 10 and this kind of time out. So we begin in the first verse of chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. Who is this angel? See, angels are blowing the trumpets. Trumpet one, two, three, four, five, six. There will be an angel that will blow blow the seventh trumpet. But here is another angel, a mighty angel. It's set apart as somehow something even more. And if you do a little bit of refreshing and go back to the first chapter of Revelation, you'll notice some similarities here with the description of Jesus himself. Scholars ask the, uh, the question, is this Jesus, or is it an angel who comes with the authority and the message of Jesus? And I heard one scholar say, yes, yes. I'm actually not sure the material difference, whether it would be Jesus himself or somebody who carries the message of Jesus in terms of how we would understand anything that happens from here, but here we go. Verse 2, he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. You remember the seven seals. This right before the seven seals, they start with the fact that in the throne room of heaven, there is an issue that is a problem, even in the rulership of the Almighty God, because sitting on the lap in the hands of God himself is a scroll that no one can open. And in fact, John is, is in this context feeling the angst of of heaven as he worries and wonders, is there no one who can open the scroll? And then one turns and says, oh, yes, there is. There is one who can satisfy the questions that are blocking the scroll, that can make clear what is happening, that can tear these seals off so that the scroll can be open. There is one. It is the Lion of David. And he turns and looks, and the Lion of David is a bleeding lamb. The one slain from the foundation of the earth. And so the scroll is opened by the seals peeled off. Well, we get to this particular intermission, and there's a little scroll which lays open in the hands of this messenger who has resemblance to the description of Jesus in Revelation 1. So, what is this scroll? The scholars will suggest to us that there is a connection between this little scroll and the scroll that had been unopened. There is some connection here. And in fact, as this scroll open is a part of what's going on, it's a part of what's happening from here forward, we'll kind of discover. And so the notion would be that this little scroll potentially could even be a fragment of the larger scroll. Some of your translations read the little book or the book, and I think of a book as being a little like this and can sit on a shelf hardcover anyway. The idea of a scroll, of course, is that it is wound on one continuous parchment, right? And the way you might make a little scroll from a big scroll is just snip off one little section, and now it's its own little scroll. And so to wrap our minds around the, uh, the idea that this little scroll is a part of what Jesus has been uncovering. It's a part of what John will be writing. It's this section from the 12th to the 22nd chapter, the remainder of the book, which all of this leading up to is leading up to the story about the end of the age. So when will it be? The end of the age. When Jesus comes, when things are set right, when there's no more persecution, where every tear is wiped away, when will it be? And here is this little scroll in the hand of the one who meets him in this intermission and he is standing, his feet planted, right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. This is an expression where we find it in Scripture which is to say, land, sea, that's all of it. This is now universally important. This is for every people. This isn't for a church in Ephesus. This is, this is everybody. This little scroll. In verse 3, he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. Now, I don't know, for some students... Uh, I think if we're honest here, we have individuals in the room who've studied revelation a lot, and those of us who haven't really. And we're about to bump into something that you may not have spent any time on at all. Others might have spent a lot of time on it, have all sorts of theories. What are, what's going on with these seven thunders that speak? With regularity, when we come to a question about a symbol, we go where? into the Bible. The Old Testament, anything in the New Testament is fascinating. In John chapter 12, there are Greeks that come to Jesus. They want to see and to know Jesus a little better from all that they have heard from a distance. And as they watch what he is doing, then listen to him speaking. There comes a point in his conversation as Jesus is speaking that God speaks words of affirmation from heaven. And some people hear it as words and other people do not hear words. What do they hear? According to John chapter 12, they hear thunder in keeping with description after description of the voice of God from the Old Testament. Let's just look at one. Psalm 29. And if you read verses 3, I'm going to share verse 3 with you. You just keep reading. Read verses 4 through 9 and you're going to see it's just a repetition of this same idea. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And then it goes on to each verse to tell you the power of his voice. Like thunder. Shaking trees and moving mountains. This voice of thunder. So it says, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the thunders, seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So John hears the voice of the seven thunders, understands well enough to go ahead and write this down, and then he is stopped and told, Don't write this down. Have you ever had somebody start a story with you and they they tell you, well, you know, you know the situation that happened with Robert, right? And you go, no, no, what, tell me, tell me. Oh. Well, if you don't know, I probably shouldn't tell you. Wait a minute, when I don't know is exactly the time you should tell me. (laughs) To start, do you you wonder here, wait a minute, could you not see this coming, God? God that you weren't going to let us in on this? Why would you have John even include this frustration? Ah, could it be that this little tucked-in story in the midst of this interlude, this situation with the scroll and the thunders is a reminder to us, and it will happen again in these, in these verses to come, That there is so much God wants to tell us and will teach us, but there are things he chooses not to. And he does so because not only will we be okay, but we'd even be better off if he didn't. Could it be? What in the world is this even about? Well, we think of a couple of things. John chapter 16, you remember Jesus saying this to the disciples, I have much to tell you, much to say to you, more though than you can now bear. What if there is something God is holding right now that is more than you could bear, more than I can even handle? In fact, Deuteronomy, the Hebrew um, mindset included this notion, Deuteronomy chapter 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law. There are things God chooses not to reveal. Have you not noticed though that the things God chooses not to reveal are the very things we want to pry and pick on? It's a little bit like that day when I was in second grade in Salisbury, North Carolina on an early December morning when I discovered where my mom was keeping the still, as of yet, unwrapped Christmas presents that she had gotten. In the laundry room, a high shelf, I don't know why I was there in the first place, that is not important to me now. What I do remember was a very suspicious bag that was in another bag and things were stacked in there. And with very, I mean, it was achievable. So, now what should I have done? Let it go. What did I do? I figured out a time when it was safe. And I got this down and I poured through these packages. Which was a little torturous because then I had to try to decide which things were actually from me. And I wasn't entirely correct in my assumptions. Could it be that the very things that we are told you're going to have to wait for are sometimes the very things we want to put the gas on that. Let's go after that. I I, I promise you, you're going to run into somebody sooner or later here who's going to tell you they know when Jesus is coming. They'll give you some explanations. I don't know that this is, I mean, could it be? It's even possible that this angel tells John and the the thunders speak when Jesus is going to come to the date. I don't know. Could be something else. I know of another thing associated with the end of time that God chooses not to tell us. There's another place where Matthew, who uses this phrase, the end of the age in Matthew 24, in the question from the disciples, they've heard Jesus use this phrase before. For Matthew will write about it in Matthew chapter 13. You go check out this story. It starts with the parable of the sower. But then it goes on to a parable about a farmer who sows wheat in his field, but a, a, an enemy sows tares in with the wheat. The problem is that tares and wheat look alike. If you decide you're going to pull out the tares, surely you would make wrong choices and pull out some of the wheat. Not only that, pulling tares up and out, their roots will intertwine with the wheat and you'll actually pull out things you weren't intending to pull out. And Jesus describes that this will not be sorted out until the end of the age. Meaning, you and I don't know, can't know, aren't supposed to know if the person I am sitting beside is actually wheat or tare, follower or not. But rather we should challenge one another, encourage one another, and put our faith, by the way, not in the person beside me, but in him. Or we do not know. God chooses not to tell us. There are a number of things. I don't know what this thunder would be. But it is the voice of God choosing to hold something back. Can you trust him? Can you really? There are plenty of things that he might know that we don't care about too deeply. But goodness, when are you coming back? Back to Revelation chapter 10, we find these words. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. In Scripture, you see this, a being that is a positive being or a being standing raising their hand. It's an oath. They are about to say something important and true. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them and the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it And he said, there will be no more delay. So here you have this one who represents or is Jesus Christ who makes this statement. And he is saying, I can validate it with the almighty God himself. Anywhere you go, whether in heaven, on our earth, or in the sea, I'm just going to tell you, there will now be no more delay. Some of your versions say there will now be no more time, and we're going to talk about what this is, but a student of Scripture and of prophecy is hearing some sort of reminder in their ears from the book of Daniel. We'll go on in a minute, we'll go back to Daniel, but we'll go on to say, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And as we get to chapter 12 and we go on, John the Revelator revealing what Jesus shares with him through the angels and others will be sharing with us the end time events, the things that are happening right at the end to sort this whole thing out, to give you confidence to rescue me. And it will be accomplished, this mystery of God. But we go to Daniel 12 and we notice a character. In that 12th chapter, as the book is finishing up, you know that in verse 4, Daniel is told, hey look, seal this thing up. It's not going to be understood. In in verse 9, we already read, this is now sealed up, so, so it's not going to be understood. But check out what's happening in between those verses. In the seventh verse, the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever. Is this ringing a bell? It will be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. All these things will be completed. So there's some period of time. Of course, if you read the book of Daniel, there are a number of different periods of time in the book of Daniel. You know, I'm much more interested in figuring out what we're talking about that has implication for who God is than I am for when God is. But it's fascinating to do a little bit of study here A time, times and half a time, Hebrew literature would substitute a time, that phrase, for a year. So if that's true in this case, then how much time are we talking about? A year times would be multiple. Two years. Two years, the Hebrew mind would understand, and a half a year. So that's three and a half years. Somebody quick calculation. How many months are there in three and a half years? Three and 12, carry the one. 42, nice. 42, now harder math, if 30 days are in a month, how many days would that be in three and a half years? 1260. And this notion of 1260 days shows up in Revelation chapter 11 and on in through these next few chapters. And 42 months. And there's a connection so that as, as John the Revelator writes, and any good Christian in that first century who understood the Hebrew and was a, was a participant in the scriptures would know there is a, a calling back to Daniel. So here's what's going on here. There is one who comes to Daniel. He swears by the Almighty that there is going to be a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, whichever way you want to talk about it, and then all these things will be completed because Daniel's been asking, when? And our scholars have worked hard to try to figure it out, and you can spend time on that as well, get a great commentary, but you could understand that this is pretty much the dark ages that are our, 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 theologians would expect us to be. So we go back and check in again. For the one in Revelation chapter 10 who swears by the Almighty, who lives forever and ever, there will be no more delay. Here's what you need to understand. Is that that word delay is actually the word chronos. Some of your versions say there will be no more time. Chronos, the same Where we get the idea of chronology, a series of events. And the Septuagint, wouldn't you know it, when it says time, times, and half a times, half a time, is chronos. So Daniel, seal this thing up. It won't be understood now. It's for the future to to be understood. 1260 days, and then there will be a shift. Why is there this 10th chapter intermission? Because, in fact, the God of the universe wants to say, look, there is a change of what's happening. There has been all this difficulty, trouble, persecution leading up to the end that has happened and we hit a point here and there is now no more any chronology of prophetic events. Time, times, half a time, now no more time. It stops here. And it stops now. And there we are into the time where predictions mm, aren't going to help us, faith in the one who said, if I go to prepare you a place, I promise I'm coming back. You can see how I have worked in the prophetic time as it moves along. It is now the time to share the gospel with no holds barred let it all out there is so little time left we are into the end of the age and then this little piece strange one so i john went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll give me the scroll which by the way is going to be given to him and he is expected to deliver on this little scroll Chapters 12 through 22, he will attempt at every turn to help us understand all the ways God is preparing a place for us. It's one thing to build you a house. It's another thing for it to be safe. It's one thing to build you a place. It's another thing to have your grief taken care of. It's one thing to have a neighbor. It's another to have confidence in your neighbor. I go to prepare all of this, and I'm going to share with you these preparations, but I'm removing this thing that you want, which is to know, what, but what day will he come? I wonder if he removes that possibility from us because he knows how we behave. That if I knew it was going to be on a Thursday in uh, March of 2027, I'd be kind of setting an alarm clock. And guess what? For me, I may never get to the day that alarm clock would ring. Could it be he wants us to live in the uncertainty of whether it would be today or tomorrow. It is now soon. Live like it's today. Well, John asks for a little scroll. He says, yeah, take it. Take it, eat it, consume it, and it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Interesting other places. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel, for instance, where there is a book that somebody asks to read, and it's sweet to the taste, sour to the stomach. There is something that is so good about it, and yet it doesn't sit well. And so, indeed, he does take the little scroll from the angel's hand and he eats it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. What could this be about? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are a variety of ways to think about this. Think about John for a minute. Here he is writing a book about the, the conclusion of it all but he is the last one of the disciples and he will die before Jesus comes. Our faith community pouring into the words of Scripture and Daniel and Revelation came to the conclusion, boy, I'd be warning them, don't do this, don't do this, came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was going to come based on these exact prophecies and these time, times, and half a time. And I've got to say, that while the notion of Jesus Christ's coming was sweet, their disappointment in their projections was bitter. I tell you, If you lay hold of this truth that Jesus is coming again by faith and you tell your friends with every day that Jesus does not come back someone walks away and it is bitter. So, Jesus says, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Look through prophecy. See how I have led. But trust me. For I am going to my father's house and I am preparing the way. I am preparing room. I am preparing the conditions. I am preparing everything that is needed. And if I would go to all of this, John would say, if he would go to all these arrangements that you're going to read about between the 12th and the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, if he's going to do all of this, he's coming back. He is coming back. He is coming to rescue you. Let me tell you from the end in view, John will say in Revelation chapter 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's coming back for you. A few verses later, we'll notice in other places. Here, an angel who walked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Not because it's curious to find out if these are the biggest walls. that are 144 cubits wide. These are the walls. Depth of the wall. No, he's measuring because the notion of a measuring rod is to see if it is adequate, if it works, if it is legitimate or not. And the angel measuring is going to say to you, it is legitimate. When the Bible says there are 12 gates, it's because 12 is the number of the full community. There is room for you. He is not coming back before the city is ready, before everything occurs that would remove all doubt, that would deal with my pain, that would eradicate sin forever. But this God of thunder and the Lamb, he says, starting out in this book, I am coming soon. And for you today, I heard somebody say to me once, I think it was actually they were preaching in a sermon. Jesus comes in your lifetime. Period. If I could tell you he was coming in March of 2027, I promise you with this many of us in this room, somebody here won't see March 2027. Somebody in the sound of my voice What you have is your lifetime. For if you would pass tomorrow, the next moment of realization would be Jesus. And he says, this simple thing you need to know, I am here knocking. Don't wait until some prophetic time is done It's now. Your choice is now. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I am the rescuer. I am the lamb. I am the thunder. I am your salvation. I am forgiveness. I am the one who wipes away your tears, who has a place for you. And if I go to prepare you a place, I am coming back. Lord God Lord God we praise your name <clears throat> that you have gone to such trouble some, such difficulty to try to help us be able to see and have faith but in the end we have to have faith and there are many things that you teach us and tell us and there are some things you choose not to and I've got to figure it's because we can't bear it or it's not for our good to know now. And so, Lord God, as we close this time in your word and this little intermission between the lead up to the final trumpet and the end of the age, we claim the truth, the promise. You are here right now. You are knocking on our heart and you are asking to please be our God, be our rescuer. And we will be patient. We will be patient. For as you said in Matthew chapter 24, the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end can come. We will be patient, for maybe it is someone that I love that needs one more day. So knock, 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 and come in whether you whisper or you come in thunder. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.